How do you normally start cooking? Olive oil, right? Well, I have great news for you. This podcast is also brought to you by California Olive Ranch, expertly crafted extra version olive oil. Go to CaliforniaOliveRanch.com and enter the promo code CHICKENS10, that's one word, CHICKENS10, to receive 10% off your entire first purchase. The offer is available through December 31st. California Olive Ranch discovery starts in the bottle. Let's start the show. Pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Hello there, my chickens and dishes. How are you? Welcome back for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, or David Guimarães Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And as always, just in case, if this is your first time listening, let me explain to you why my podcast has this exceptional name. I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in Washington, D.C. for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if we've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes. Every episode I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our family sitting around the table, and even what's the best breakfast ever. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and all the platforms you have access to. You can follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes or the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. I hope you enjoy listening to every episode and don't forget I'm Portuguese. So if you don't understand something, just Google it. My guest today is a food scientist and director of technical services for the company California Olive Ranch, a company created over 20 years ago. Their harvesting practices allow them to harvest the olives at the exact right moment to create the best quality extra virgin olive oil. She's a cat lover, a dog lover, and she agreed to have this conversation at 7 a.m. because according to her, she's at her best first thing in the morning. I'm not, so we'll see how this goes. Mary Mori, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Happy to be here. How are you? Good. How are you? You know, it's, it's not 7 a.m. for me. So people listen. For me, it's 10 a.m., but for Mary, so I'm, I'm good. Yes. Two important questions. Have you ever been to Portugal? I haven't, but my husband has. He used to work for the California Olive Ranch Company as well and went for work to visit some of our grower partners there. And so I, I know a bit about Portugal from his experiences. Do you know any Portuguese words? I do. Bom dia. Or bom dia. Bom dia. I believe. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning, yes. Do you know how Just, to say olive oil in Portuguese? Because that's important in your fields. Do you know? You know? See? I don't. Is, is it the, it's not the same as Spanish? Azeite. That's how we say it. Azeite. Ah, okay. Anyway, they so spell after, it the same way. After this important part, start right away. So one of the mottos of California Olive Ranch is, it's not about what we do, it's about how we do it. So what's unique about your process that makes your olive oil better? You know, it's all of those very simple way of producing, but what we like to say and what we do and pride ourselves in is really the uniqueness of our blending to make sure there's quality in the bottle, make sure that there it's extra virgin throughout the shelf life and make sure it just tastes good for every purpose and use. And when we take it to the next level with our production, as well as the grower partners that we try to find throughout the world is really the efficiency in production. And so as fast as you can get the olives off the tree, as fast as you can get the olives to the mill, 
to preserve the quality of the oil because the, the minute the olives come off the tree, that's when the oil starts to degrade. So we pride ourselves in trying to find those, you know, more new world type thinking producers as well as what we do and trying to be as fast as we can, as efficient, but also making good quality product. And a lot of times, you know, in the olive oil industry, you have to make sacrifices on quantity because quality is what matters. You don't want to make a defective oil. People don't want to use a defective oil. So it's all about making sure the product is extra virgin and a mm-hmm. good quality. I was just thinking on top of my head. Normally for like a regular size bottle of olive oil, do you know how many olives you need? They say that it depends on the season. It depends on the variety because every, you know, one olive, like the varieties we use, Arbequina, Arbisana, um, they have about 20% fat in them. But then other varieties that a lot of people use, like Pequal, has more like 15% fat. But it is funny. They say it's kind of, it basically takes about one tree to make one bottle. It's kind of the rule of thumb. You need a um, lot of trees, yes. Yes. You need a lot of trees. How do you make your brand stand out when the shelf, when you go to the grocery store, is full with 50 different types of olive oil? Yeah, it's been tough. And, you know, over the, we've, I've been at the company for nine years now, and we've really transformed the industry, which I think has helped. First, you can tell by our iconic bottle, um, the green bottle shape, the square. Nobody else has that out there with the contrast of the beautiful blue California skies on the label. And so that's been one thing that we've really prided ourselves on is really getting that different look. But what really gets it is, you know, consumers to to try the product and taste it. And then they want to come back for more because we have a not a different taste. It's a very, you know, normal tasting olive oil, nothing Crazy Extravagant is the main product that you can buy out there, but we pride ourselves in that taste of not wanting to taste like everybody else. And so we really focus a lot on the blending of, we have a mild oil and robust oil and everyday oil. And it's about that consistency of profile. And I feel like that's really what people have identified with is, you know, every time you go back to that shelf, that's mm-hmm. the, it's going to taste the same. Yes or no. Can you cook with extra virgin olive oil? Yes. Absolutely. And I wish people did more. Because a lot of people are afraid. Do you want to to explain why? Yeah. And it's because there's a lot of research out there, a lot of these, you know, myths that you can't uh, fry with olive oil, you can't cook with olive oil, it's only for finishing or salads. But it's a myth. And it's the root of the myth is back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, the product on shelves was not good quality. And when they would do research on olive oil, they would use not good quality oils, and then you would get these bad results. And it really does come down to the quality. For instance, the frying with oil. You can fry with a really good olive oil, like one of ours or other products now on the shelf for more increasingly better quality products. There's a chemical called the free fatty acid in olive oil, and the higher the free fatty acid, the lower the smoke point. And so that's the risk. Well, with not extra virgin olive oils, there is a high free fatty acid. And so that's why people always would think you couldn't because all the research was done on virgin oils or crude oils and then therefore, but they were called extra virgin olive oils at that time. And therefore people think that and they still can't change their mindset. And I really hope that they do is, you know, the only oil I have in my kitchen is our olive oils. You could do anything with it. But you wouldn't deep fry it, would you? Yeah. You you would deep fry as well? Yeah, the smoke point of olive oil goes up to about 450, depending on the quality. It can Some of them I've even seen come up to 500, which is well, you know, surpasses any even frying temperatures. So you think it's also a matter of, like you were saying, in the 60s and 70s, the quality wasn't that great, right, the product? So do you think there's still out there a lot of extra virgin olive oils that 
they're just not that good. So that's why, you know, people might have bought it and had a bad experience with that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and olive oil is more expensive. So yeah. you use a lot of oil in a fryer. So that's the, the caveat. But I know there was a lot of fraud back in the day. We've grown to change that, especially in the United States, really str- um, going strong with the California commission, pushing re- legislation and just the awareness to consumers. And we've seen a shift since I started. It, there was a lot of bad product and you know we would do tastings and cuttings and it was a lot easier to find a defective oil out on shelf. And now it's really hard. Um, it's not you know as prevalent because all producers are improving, all companies are improving because they want to put good quality product out there for the consumers. And they want the consumers to trust the olive oil product rather than just see it as a, a side thing that you have in your kitchen. And so I think that's what's really helped it. And you don't see the fraud like people thought they saw. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what's kind of a big thing in our industry is the fraud. And there really isn't that fraud anymore. I wonder also if it's a cultural aspect, right? Because I come from Portugal and I mean, things change nowadays a little bit, but everybody uses extra virgin olive oil. That's our, our, the basic of our cuisine, right? And yeah. they fry with that and... There's also less alternatives. Again, nowadays, I'm sure it's different, but you know, you go to the grocery store here, like I said, it's the walnut oils, the grapeseed oils, there's a lot in there. It's yeah. probably not as much. And I wonder if it's also a cultural thing, right? In the US, maybe there was this kind of narrative, like you should not use, you should not use, you should not use. So I wonder if that actually has a part also on the the consumer part, right? Absolutely. I know I've been to Italy and to visit some of our producers over there and on the shelf, it's olive oil and sunflower oil. That's it. In the yeah. United States, we've got, you know, 20 different types of oils. It for sure is, you know, myself growing up, we didn't have olive oil in our kitchen. I, we, you know, it was vegetable oil and butter and margarine. And now you see that shifting as people have been educated. And I think, you know, it's, it's tough to market to cut because there's certain people, you know, some people, my husband will still sometimes butter sometimes just because he knows that for that dish, it's good in certain instances, but you know, you can fry with olive oil, you can cook an egg with olive oil. And it's taking that mindset and bringing that culture to the United States that yeah. is in Europe. It, you know, we have, a, I have a colleague from Spain and she talks about it, you know, she, everything with olive oil and it's just now hitting the United States as something to, to be proud of and to do. I think it's just changing that mindset to consumers that it's okay to cook with olive oil and it's okay to do more with it and how to use it. The biggest difference between extra virgin olive oil and just regular olive oil? The biggest difference um, is really the sensory and it comes down to tasting a defect. There's a lot of chemistry that goes behind it. Um, there's about nine different chemistry parameters that we check to, to decide the grade, but it really does come down to, is it defective or not? And one of the most Common defects is rancidity or what's called fusty. Those would be the two that you would be able to pull up as a consumer. Sometimes we see something called cold press, right? Cold press olive oil and refined olive oil. What's the difference also with that? Refined olive oil, just what they end up doing is usually it's defective oil. It was defective at one point. So they take it to a refinery to pull out any impurities. And basically you make it an odorless, colorless, tasteless fat. Um, while it still has a good purpose, it's kind of like any other vegetable oil where it doesn't have any flavor, it's going to be cheap, it's going to be extra processed. So that's refined oil. And that, that is out in the market. You know, if you don't want flavor, um, that's an, an option for people. First cold press and cold press, it's tough. We're actually going through a lot of debate internally around that. It's, it, consumers find it extremely important here in the United States. Um, in Europe, they've actually banned the use of cold press unless you actually have a press. 
because the the word press is you know you take these presses that are the older technology of making olive oil and you press the olives in them with um kind of like their wheels sometimes like in really old days they would use a horse to turn this wheel and crush the olives a centrifuge is really more of the new age kind of mentality how people produce because it's faster and you can make quicker and help preserve that quality of the oil so it's hard because you know consumers identify they think first cold press is actually a grade or they find it important that it's supposed to be you know that's the oils they should buy but it's actually not what people think it is it's more of just a marketing term to you know have that premiumness but it's important, but really what's important is extra virgin. It says extra virgin, and they, I, usually we recommend people look for a certification seal because there are certifications out there to certify that, yes, this has been tested and verified that it's extra virgin. Now we're going to be a little controversial here. Let's be honest, Mary, for all the millennials listening, avocado oil, yay or nay? It's good. I actually <laughs> like it. So we have a product that we started blending avocado oil with olive oil. And so it's funny though, you know, we have a lot of talks internally of like what, where can we look and expand and avocado oil was one that we were excited about. But the funny thing about it is avocado oil is no different chemically than olive oil. Literally, you, you almost could t not tell the difference between the two. Um, the same exact fat composition, almost to a T. The only difference is a lot of times avocado oil out there is refined just because avocado oil by itself without the refining process has a very strong taste that I'm not sure consumers are ready for yet. Okay. It's really unique and interesting if you're kind of, if you really enjoy food and enjoy tasting oils like that, um, it has a very piney flavor, but it's very strong in, in a very particular cooking methods. But the funny thing is it's literally chemically, if you're trying to get the same health attributes, it's no different than olive oil. But that's why we did a blend is, you know, we, you know, a lot of people like that oil, it's still a healthy oil. And we really wanted to pride ourselves on having healthy oils out there. If you can explain very simply, basically how the process, because, you know, I, again, I come from Portugal, and there's a lot of olive trees, and a lot of people make their own olive oil at home. Can you just explain a little bit the process, you know, when you pick the olives, what do you do? And then until the end results, just those three, uh, three, four steps? Yeah, it's very simple. You know, you pick your olives, um, you crush them. Well, for, you know, we clean them, we clean out any debris because we do get some, if you're hand picking, you don't have that much. Crush them, what's called a hammer mill crusher. Just, we like to crush, um, you can crush with or without the pit, depending on what you not want. We like to crush with the pit because we feel like the pit really helps release the oil. Then you throw it through a malaxer, um, which is basically, I like to make it think, you know, it's just massaging the oil out of the paste at that point it's just like it looks like guacamole both pits in it and then it just massages the oil out take you know give it a little bit of time so that it just helps release that fat and then you go through a centrifuge which is just a really fast spin that separates the oil and water from the solids and then it goes through one more centrifuge that separates the oil from the water when you do for instance we were talking about avocado oil when you pick the avocados, right? I mean, do you also do the pressing? Do you have to add something else? Does release as much oil as just pressing olives or no? No, um, they don't add anything else either. Um, so they have a different unique technique is they use a mango depitter to get the pit out because you actually, in the avocados, you don't want the pit. It'll mm -hmm. have really defective taste um, to it. It'll just be very nutty. And so they get the pit out and they crush them, um, they de-skin them. And otherwise it's the same exact process, same exact equipment. 
at avocado mills as there is at olive mills. Is the difference between poor quality and top quality olive oil worth the price difference? Because I think we were talking about that a little earlier. Sometimes if people, maybe they had a bad experience, right? So sometimes do you mm -hmm. encourage someone to pay? Because it's tricky, right? We yeah. talked uh, last week, me and you. And it's funny because a lot of people have five vinegars in their cabinets, but they almost refuse to have two olive oils because olive oil is more expensive. But it's completely worth the the price difference when you between a poor and quality and top quality. Absolutely. And I, I think so, you know, it's I'm a little biased because I'm in the industry, but I do love cooking and I find different uses. And that's I think what people need to get used to is it's okay to spend a little bit more because think about it as everybody wants to be healthier and eat consciously and fat really helps your dish. And when you add fat, you can add a little bit of fat or salt or pepper or some herbs, and it really helps accentuate the, the flavor because fat's a carrier of flavor. So adding olive oil to a dish will help accentuate that flavor so you can eat less, but still feel satisfied with that flavor. And I think people miss that in how to use oils in their kitchen. Um, they just use oils to carry or to fry or to do certain things rather than use it to add flavor to your dish. And I think that's what's important. That's what, you know, in our line, we have a mild oil where if you don't want a lot of flavor inclusion, we have a robust oil. If you want a very robust oil, we've got our avocado blend. If you want to do different high heat cooking and different things with it to get a different flavor as well. And we are coming out with some other different products of um, soon of, you know, just different flavors that you want and show that you can cook just like you do vinegar where you have your white wine vinegar, your red wine vinegar, apple cider vinegar, and they all have different purposes. And it's just about, you know, being diverse in your cooking. I guess a company like yours, you also have to look at the, of course, you got to keep the quality, but you also have to look the trends, right? Yeah. You know, unquote trends, but you know, maybe again, I always give a comparison to Portugal, you know, again, things might be a little different. I've not, I haven't been there in 10 years, but I'm sure mm -hmm. that you also, your company realized that, okay, you know, people are going that, this direction. If it's a av avocado blend or something, you always have to be super aware of what's going on around, right? What people are Absolutely. consuming. Yeah. And, and infuse yeah. that into your olive oils. How do you implement a sustainable awareness in your production process? It's important, especially in agriculture, especially in agriculture in California too. Um, you know, we don't have, we're, I'm joking with my friends back on the East coast, you guys are getting so much rain and we're in the middle of like a heat blip right now. And it's like, just send us some of your water, please. <laughs> so it is, you know, that's what I think has really helped us really make it a priority though, is in agriculture, sustainability is key. And it is the practices of most farmers in general, whether you have that sustainability certification or not, um, or organic too. And it's just, you know, back to the ground and back to the land and wanting to keep that land um, helping us for generations, not just, you know, abusing it right now, but it goes throughout the entire process of just, you know, being as efficient. That's what we say, you know, sustainability is efficiency and reducing of, you know, different inputs. And that goes through the entire process of olive oils because we can't make a good quality product without those efficiencies throughout the process, without being as fast as we can, being as close as we can to the mill and getting efficiency in trucking and everything. Has climate change affected your company, for instance? Because we hear a lot of stories in California, or like droughts in California for months or something like that. Does that affect a lot? It does. Um, we do see different crop ebbs and flows, and we do see it in the industry as a whole throughout the, the world, where it's the olive crop is what's called alternate bearing, where every other year is a really high year and every year is a low year. And the industry as a whole is really trying to work on trying to get those ebbs and flows to be a little more equal. 
where, you know, this year we're going into a lighter crop year. So we're going to have less oil to produce. Um, last year we had a great crop. We produced so much oil and really good quality. Usually you see the quality issues in those low crop years. And so just it, we always make great product, but it takes a lot more work and a lot more energy from us to constantly be mitigating any risk we could be seeing in the season. And a lot of it is due to the weather, the climate, the lack of water, as well as, you know, it has to do with, you know, we didn't have a lot of rains in the spring and in the winter this year, which abodes to it is there's one thing of the aquifers under us of the water, but it's more about how much rain the trees actually get throughout the season as well. And so that does change. And we've seen in California, you know, I'm, wasn't, I was born in the eighties, but you know, in the seventies, my dad would tell me how they had the similar drought time. Um, so it's just, it's part of the nature of the world, but we're definitely starting to see more and more kind of it staying persistently. I was doing some research and the top 10 olive oil producers in the world, the seven out of 10 are also countries that have great wine. So United States, Portugal, Australia, France, Spain, Greece, and Italy. The other three, mm-hmm. I think it's more for cultural reasons. They don't produce wine. Is there any connection between the two when it comes to the climate, geography, soil? Absolutely. You know, it's definitely that Mediterranean vibe of the weather and the climate where olives grow, grapes grow really well. They actually say a lot of times, you know, olives are grown in a lot more countries and it really is, the olive tree is so just hardy and can grow anywhere. They say, you know, that's what the joke was, you know, up here in Northern California, there's a place called Corning is they would joke that nothing else could grow. So let's grow olive trees. And they did. And that's where, you know, really started in our area where we're at started as the olive hub of California, um, Mm -hmm. where they grew the most olive trees for generations. And so it does have to do with that climate. California, we're very similar climate to the Mediterranean, uh, Chile as well, and Argentina. Now shifting the conversation a little bit, what was your first memory of taste? That one's tough. It's, it kind of goes back to my memory of it's not like a taste per se, but it goes back to my education in college. And I took some courses after college on sensory. Until then, I don't feel like I really tasted until I really <laughs> learned how to taste. And that's what kind of resonates with me. Like you asked that question, my immediate mind goes to those classes of learning the different senses. And since then, I've become so more attuned to my senses in, in eating and tasting and smelling and which I think has helped, then it's sometimes I joke with my colleagues that, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit of a smell snob. It's it kind of ruins you once you really understand and learn and, and dive into your senses, bad smells and good smells, they, you smell it all and you taste it all and, and it kind of makes you very picky. The most underrated ingredient for you? Underrated, I know it's going to sound cliche, but I do feel like olive oil. You know, I did not see that coming. I did not <laughs> see that coming, Mary. Yes. <laughs> I know. It's so, I feel like, you know, we're still trying to break that path of, you know, consumers knowing it's okay to use olive oil in anything and sub it for any other type of product. And I know it sounds cliche coming from an olive oil company, but I do really true. Like I was trying to come up and think of something else, but olive oil still is just like first to mind. And people actually forget, you can make ice creams, you can make cakes, mm-hmm. olive oil is very, very good. You can make puddings, yes. olive oil, you know, puddings like a little flans. You can do a lot of things. Overrated ingredient for you? Um, overrated. It's hard. I'm not, I don't know. I really like all foods. I think not in terms of an ingredient, but lately I've been feeling overrated is um, spicy. And because mm-hmm. there's a good level of spice 
And I like spice, but I don't like overpowering spice. And I think that so many people, you strive to make the spiciest food that's going to burn your mouth, but you forget how great something could taste and too much spice can really negatively impact a dish where then it doesn't taste good. You don't taste anything but your mouth burning. What's the best breakfast you can have? Best breakfast, my go-to is always um, Eggs Benedict. It's my guilty pleasure every do you, time we Do go you out. make it or you prefer to eat at a restaurant? I've tried. So since COVID, I've experimented with making my own hollandaise with a friend of mine and it came out really good. It's very hard. It's a lot of technique. I'm sure you've, you've made it plenty of times as being a chef, but it's, I definitely come to appreciate when I go out how hard it takes to make it right and not have it break. The strangest combination people might do it that you just cannot accept food-wise. People put one or two ingredients together. You're like, no. Um... The one that comes to my mind is my brother growing up. He would put ranch and ketchup on mashed potatoes. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, wait, uh, ranch and ketchup on mashed potatoes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's intense. I think uh, he still does it too. Okay. <laughs> so the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Those are two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience. Breaking dishes means someone that exceeded all expectations. Have you been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? Kind of think breaking more dishes. Um, I don't find myself to be, you know, so, you know, fully like perfect at anything, but I do feel like in myself and my life in general is just exceeding my expectations of myself. Um, you know, one thing I prided myself on was wanting to get an education. I wanted to get a degree in something that I was going to use. And I really feel like I've accomplished that in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm using my degree every day. And so I think every goal I set for myself, that's my, you know, personal, constantly exceeding those expectations is what helps, you know, motivate me and keep me, you know, happy. And I love what I do. This part of the podcast, I tell my guests to sell their fish. That means to talk about yourself in a way. It's in the future for you, for the company, you know, what's next? Yeah, no, it's, um, it's exciting time. And, you know, we're really growing lately, uh, been expanding. And like I said, you know, we have a lot of new items coming out of playing with different um, types of oils. Like we just had our avocado blend, come out. And so those are really exciting for the company as well as, you know, two months harvest is starting in California. So we're getting ready for that. And in um, the Northern Hemisphere, so Portugal as well. And we do buy some oil from Portugal. So it's exciting to get ready for that. In California, we start testing the fruit. We're trending the quality to predict when we're going to start harvest. So right now our minds are just 100% focused on getting ready for that and hoping to have a good season come October. And the harvest um, starts uh, September, October, right? That's when it starts? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It'll go around Thanksgiving. Well, Mary, thank you very much. Now you can go back to bed because it's super early. So, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for all the information about the olive oil. I hope people learn more. Thank you for having your time to come on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much, David. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. Today, Embassy Chef's Corner is all about desserts. Who doesn't like desserts? Stop listening then. Let's imagine you have a friend that texts you last minute to say that he or she wants to come over because they had a rough day and they really need to talk to you about it. If it was me, of course, I would say no. But because you're a good person, you're going to say yes. Desserts can be a little tricky because sometimes we think that will take half an hour to make it. Well, I'm going to tell you three recipes you can make in less than five minutes. The first one, sorbet. Americans, and maybe other people in the world, they love to have frozen fruit in their freezers for smoothie in the morning. Add two cups of frozen fruit in a blender and add a fourth of a cup of buttermilk. If you don't have buttermilk, you can add heavy cream, coconut milk, almond milk, or something like that. Blend everything, add some sugar if you want, and just like that, you have an instant fruit ice cream. 
The second thing you can do, chocolate mousse. This one takes five minutes to prepare. So you need to let it rest in the fridge for at least half an hour, but still. So first, what you're going to do, beat four eggs with half a cup of sugar for about three minutes until the eggs double the size. Melt one stick of unsalted butter and one cup of chocolate in a microwave. When the chocolate and butter are melted, stir it and add to your eggs mixture, combine everything, and that's it. You can pour in individual bowls and refrigerate it for half an hour, and that's it. You might be thinking like, ugh, raw eggs. Don't be dramatic, okay? Third dessert, if you have some strawberries, you can add a little bit of butter in a pan, add strawberries, and cook them for literally 30 seconds. After that, drizzle with some honey, splash with a good balsamic vinegar, take off the heat, and serve them right away with some vanilla ice cream or whipped cream. And that's it. Desserts for all tastes so everyone can be happy. If you want to discuss about something here on the Embassy Chef's Corner feature, send me an email to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. You can also find me on Instagram at turningchickensbreakingdishes or on the Facebook page turningchickensandbreakingdishes. Don't forget I release an episode every Tuesday and Friday of each week, so stay tuned all the time. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. Tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. Have an amazing day. Adeus. Adeus.